it's just to kind of like make you question everything in our lives. It's just because it's like, why are we doing everything that we're doing? Is it because we've been forced to do it from like, you know, society, which is basically people from centuries past, or are we doing it because we actually want to be doing it? It feels really right for us. And it's just permission. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. <laughs> it's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to Almost 30 Podcast. Hello. It's Lindsay Simpson and Krista Williams. 2019, baby. Here we go. Get ready. <laughs> or, Get ready for Christmas. Or, here we go. <laughs> How are we, we going to say it? <laughs> here we go. Honestly, it feels like we're about to... Uh, Get ready for Christmas. This year's flying. Flying. By. How is it mid end February? Well, when I was thinking, like, when March. you own a business like this and you kind of have to plan shit at month by yeah. month or whatever, I'm sure a lot of you do this. And then you're like, oh, like you're talking about November and December. And I, I literally had this vision. I was like, oh, that's going to be here tomorrow. Tomorrow. Which is fine. I know. But it's just weird. It's very I've weird. I've actually had the revelation this year that I'm. It's like, now I realize that I'm not getting any younger. You know, mm. like, I think before I was always in my 20s. I don't know. I, I didn't think about my age. I always felt like a... But now I'm like, oh, this is truly the youngest I'll ever be, I guess. Yeah. In a weird way, it feels like... The peak? I identify more with people that are like 40 mm. that are like, damn, I, I don't even feel 40. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I know. I was thinking the other day that like, we're going to get to a point where we're going to be more than halfway through our lives. I know. And we have to come to the realization that that is the truth. I know. Like if you're in your 60s, you're more than halfway through your life. I know. Right now, like if all goes well, we're less than halfway. It's just like a weird thing. But then I was like, oh, then I'm going to have other friends my age and we can talk about it and it's going to be fine. (laughs) I just, that's, it's so scary because my dad even says that too. My dad's mm. like, I don't feel like I'm mm-hmm. 65. Yeah. You know, no one really feels, Very not aged. no one does. Maybe, you know, people feel, I feel appropriately aged at this point in my life. Same. But I guess as you get older, it's kind of like, I don't know. I think it'll feel weird. Like if we're lucky enough to become parents and then you're like, wait, I'm, I know. What? Yeah. Like Eliza, Daniela's baby is mm-hmm. freaking one. Huh? When people get pregnant and have a kid, I'm like, what? I know. How, that is such a marker for time. Oh, when Gigi Goldman at Copari was like, honestly, it was yesterday when they were babies. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> so sweet, dude. She's so sweet. Honestly. How are you? Good? Oh, I'm great. Yeah? Yeah. Been um, tricking Justin into taking vitamins. Oh, that's fun. He calls it Shutter Island. Oh, cool. <laughs> 
He's like, so you hand him like the little yes. paper cup of pills. I of hand him pills. like 10 pills and he's like, I have no idea what these are. This is literally mind control. Shutter Island. I but like it. It is. I've been giving him some Hum Nutrition Arctic Repair for skin, for hair, skin, and nails, BioTin for hair. We want to keep those Everything locks. I- <laughs> Honestly, I want to keep those locks as long as possible. Um, uh, Silver Friend brand probiotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost 30 is a discount code. Uh, Silver Friend brand whole food multivitamin, mm, which yeah, is really a good. good. One. And then um, Shanti Wellness, they have a good balance. It's like kind of these adaptogens. What else have I been giving him? I throw in different stuff every once in a while. So good. From my arsenal. Does, Honestly, he, does he feel better? Yes. Wow. He looks better, feels better. Like, I don't know whether it's placebo or not. Plus, I feel like he does. Like I've been looking no, at him I, lately. I I'm like... Looking real good. Mm-hmm. And it's the vitamins. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's the vitamins, but I'm like, it's the vitamins. <laughs> but if people believe that food can change your body, vitamins can change your body. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, as you know, I have my bucket of vitamins. You have so I'm, I'm worried. Many. <laughs> Honestly, I wonder if sometimes vitamins counteract each other. Oh, they certainly can. I just don't do my research to know which Same. ones do that. But I'll take so many at a time and then I'll like go out and like this morning I had a few pills stuck in my esophagus that didn't quite wash down all the way and you don't realize it until they explode uh, in your esophagus. And it's like dusty in your in your it's, burp. It's dusty in the burp or you just feel this severe burn and you're like, okay. I actually saw one of the Wellness. vitamins in the toilet and I was like, are you flushing my vitamins? <gasps> like true Shutter Island. I'm like, are you flushing? He's like, no, that was an old one that was on the ground. I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> now you got to take him in front of me. <laughs> oh God. Yo, we had the craziest, the craziest experience the other day. Mm. We saw our friend Colette of Clarité Wellness. And at, you, this was your second time. This was my first time. It changed my world to know like the correlation between not only just like tension in your face, but as everyone knows, I've been dealing with like breakouts and what I thought were hormonal. And I know it does have to do with hormones in some sense because there's stress and that that is a hormone. With her, she used etiotherapy, which is basically like therapy during the facial and was able to, and she's also intuitive, was able to pinpoint moments in my life where specifically for me, I haven't like just spoken up or expressed myself. And a lot of that gets trapped in this area where I'm experiencing breakouts. Mm. I was like, wow, it's so true. And I was just like crying. It's very emotional. Yeah. But she, one thing that was really interesting, she said that the stomach is your mother organ And so like there's a correlation between what's happening on my face and my stomach and the fact that like I need to mother myself more, which I agree with. Just being like more nourishing in everything I do rather than... I don't consider myself restrictive, but I sometimes like it feels like, oh, I'm going to intermittent fast because that's what I do. But sometimes I'm like hungry and I should eat. So just yeah, being, you're real. You're real good. Yeah, but 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 just being like, like I haven't seen you. What a wild. What do I want? Ever. You know, mm. like what does the body want? Like does the body just want to like lay down on the couch, put my feet up? You know, she's like, you really need to like take 
care of yourself in that way. I was like, okay, hear that. Mm-hmm. And what else about it? Was it, it was speaking your truth too, right? Yeah, speaking my truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is speaking your truth? Well, I, I hate to say that because I feel like it's oversaid, but I think it's... Um, so she was saying that like, for me, anytime I want to express myself, not anytime, but sometimes it's a thought in my head of, well, what's the point? So I think it started when I was pretty young. I don't remember, but she referenced like when I was two and my sister was born and I was like the first child. And then anybody who has siblings come in the picture, like there's a little bit of, hey, what about me? You know? And I couldn't, I didn't really feel heard, which, you know, it's just is what it is. There's two, there's another kid. But then what I remember is like in my teens, at 16, she referenced, and I was like, 16, that's when I got my license and could lie more, <laughs> basically, is like the best. go and do shit and like not tell my parents what I was doing. And that is like, well, what's the point? Why tell them when like they're just going to say no or they're going to, you know, ask me a million questions or not approve of what I'm doing? So I'm just not going to tell them what's the point. So that was really interesting to kind of figure out where I say that in my head, when I say that in my head, and even like, you know, now in my life where it's like, sometimes I just don't, I more put it on me where I'm like, well, I'm still learning. So like, Mm. let me just take it in and let me kind of like internalize it rather than like talk out what I'm feeling. Yeah. But I want to be better about that. Yeah. You know, think it'll feel better. Mm -hmm. I could see that. You know, it's interesting too, like thinking about that. Yeah. Cause I mean, as a youngest, you know, four Mm -hmm. years, my sister's four years older than me. Everyone, not everyone's listening, but it's kind of like, I didn't have to compete for anyone to listen to me, you know? So like, if you do have siblings or, you know, whatever, I think my mom had that too. You know, she was born and then her brother was born a year after her and he was severely disabled. Mm -hmm. So my uncle was severely disabled. He was in like a crib most of his life. So that made, you know, that definitely changed her to be more like what is, not what is the point, but just be, it just changed a lot of her life in that way. So yeah, I can kind of see that. But is it like, you know, to me, is it like, when people talk, are you like, well, what's the point? Cause there, is it like, it's, I, cause it's hard for me. Cause I'm like, it's not either or, you know, it's not this person or you talking. It's mm-hmm. like everyone talking, you right. know, like, and I think that's, what's important about it is that it's like, just because one person says something, does something, expresses something, creates something doesn't mean that yours is going to be the same. Right. You know, which is so important and such a great lesson for everyone. You yeah. Know, listening. And I have to remind myself that like, if I were to say something about, I can't even think of an example, but like it also serves the other person because most likely a conversation would be helpful no matter what. Yep. Like it's, I always think I'm like, well, would this put stress on a situation or would this complicate things or would this make me look silly? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I, you know, it's always kind of that, but that's, that's also just like making it about me in a way, right? Like, and instead just like engaging in conversation, knowing that like, if it's coming from what I'm experiencing truthfully, then it's going to be productive, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. If they're able to receive it and like engage in that type of conversation. Yeah. Because I mean, I've picked up on you doing that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, when you're like, well, what's the point? And mm-hmm. you kind of back off, disengage. And it's, I know that you, there is something, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, but it feels like condescending to be like, hey, well, what do you, you know, like I try to be like, I what know. do you think? But it feels like, and we're moving so fast. So sometimes it's like, okay. Totally. For the best of everyone. I think that's part like my, I don't know if it's a habit, but just like kind of dimming, like yeah. just being like, a, you know, like whatever, which is not, not good. But I'm glad that like, we're kind of, we both agreed to just one, hold each other accountable for that, yep. you know, and like also taking the onus off of you to be that kind of like strong figure within the business. Yep. Like you're always going to do that, yep. but like making sure that that is not a burden or a stress and yep. really being able to kind of like break up, you know, that feeling of, man, I don't want to be like the bad guy or the bossy one or the mm-hmm. whatever. Like it's important so in those moments where I'm like, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, Whatever it is, it's like just, you know, talking more about like what that is. And yeah. like me not just saying like, yes, it's more of just a conversation, yep. I guess. But yeah, it feels feels good to kind of like call that out. And I, I asked you, I'm like, I need you to yeah, call me out. I do. I need to. And, you know, I need to be called out too mm-hmm. when I'm being too, pushing too much or you know, not, not having as much fun with it, you know, as we should. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, you're listening to therapy. <laughs> so this is literally a therapy sesh um, happening in front of your eyes. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, everyone's kind of going through something yeah. in, in various relationships, whether it's your friendships, your business partnerships, like, you know, just, just letting your relationship evolve and deepen and become more dynamic. You know, like we're in business together. So we really slip into those roles more often than not. And we have to remind ourselves that like we're friends first, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're connected on a much deeper level. Mm -hmm. So to, yeah, I mean, I'm sure y'all can relate. Yeah. And my session, I'm thinking she just was um, very... Just just being even more honest, even more direct, even more clear. She said she was proud of you. She felt like you had implemented what she said. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, did she tell you? Yeah. She said that she was really proud that she's like, I feel like you're really good right now with with that. Because when something clicks for me, it's very easy for me to apply. Yes. It doesn't take, it doesn't take a bunch of time someone telling me mm-hmm. if I understand something, I understand it. And I pretty much apply it for maybe the rest of my life. So yeah, that was really good. And she's just really special. And what I took away from it was basically using my tools like the gua sha, like Mm -hmm. the jade roller, like our white turquoise tool that we got from Skin Owl. We love Annie at Skin Owl. Mm -hmm. She has a great white turquoise uh, tool that you can use for massaging your face on skinowl.com. I think it's Mm skinowl.com. But and that can really change your face. So that is, has been really helpful for me using my jade ruler, using my gua sha to get rid of puffiness, to improve my collagen, to kind of create definition on my face that wasn't there before. Because yeah. I can hold weight in my face. My face, I've always had cheeks my whole life. So really helping to relieve tension in my jaw, create a cheekbone, create a chin for me has been really, really nice. And that's like, it's like a beauty secret of the stars almost. Oh my God. I, I can't believe I haven't done it until now. Yeah. I'm like, because we're always after these quick fixes and yes. one, this doesn't take long. So I'm not saying it's a long fix, but if you do it every day over time, it really does make a difference. And you do it in such a way that pushes 
very gentle. I thought you had to do it super hard, but it's the way she was doing it was really gentle, mm-hmm. just kind of stimulating the lymph and then pushing it to the ear area yeah. and then down the neck. Yep. Because there's like a lymph, whatever, in your ear and then down by your armpit. But yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, to remove toxins, release tension. Because also too, you know, you can have so much tension in your mm-hmm. scalp and forehead that your eyebrows are, you know, uneven or raised at the wrong point, or you have puffiness underneath your eyes, or you yeah. have puffiness in your cheeks or on your jawline. So by doing the gua sha tool, gently rubbing it along your face, along the bones of your face, or the jade roller, jade roller it really helps to boost collagen, stimulate elastin, help with fine lines and wrinkles, and really just like define your face in a very beautiful way. Yeah. She also told me not to ever in my life have a cold beverage. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, now I will never forget I'm kind of down with that. I'm down with that. Yeah, no ice cubes. But it's hard because we were even like this weekend, like people are putting ice cubes in everything. Cubes and I was like, oh, days. fuck. So she said that the, and I might get this wrong and, Sometimes people call us out for being like, they think they know what they're talking yeah, about. And right. I'm not <laughs> claiming to be an expert based here. Based on the fact we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, literally. Um, but we own it because no one knows what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the stomach and the spleen are kind of married in the system of organs. Wow. And the coldness kind of knocks off the balance between the stomach and the spleen. So anyway, I I've believe heard that it. too about cold beverages like Sahara and Ayurveda. Oh yeah. Because it, it it like tenses the muscles of your stomach and your digestive system so that it cannot release and relax and let the food come in, digest. Yes. It helps to like, it just really like freezes it up in a way, mm. you know? And so having, that's why having warm nourishing foods, warm soups are just great for your digestive system to help you root down so you're not so like using all your energy for for cold foods. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a while I was doing so many smoothies that I was getting really tired and I said something to Daniela Kende. I was like, I don't know why I'm so tired in the morning after my like Fab Four smoothie. Oh, And this is in the winter. And she's like, it's probably the temperature of your foods that's making you so tired. So I'd have my cold smoothie in the morning and be so tired because my body was using all of the energy to warm up my smoothie and digest it. So that's something to think about, you know, the the Fab Four smoothie, which we love and, you know, daily harvest I use all the time, but having it at the right periods of the year um, is really helpful for, you know, understanding your energy levels. So now I don't have that in the morning and I will incorporate that again in the summer. Yes, that's so, such a good point. Yeah. That is a really good The point. warmth of the beverages. But yeah, Colette, it's Clarite Wellness, C-L-A-R-I-T-E wellness.com. You can, you know, get on her list. She's in Vancouver and then she's going to be in LA this summer. But yeah, she's incredible. Incredible. Yeah, she's, she's incredible. Thank you, Colette. Thank you. Um, non-sponsored. Non-sponsored. She does have a really long wait list. So yeah. sorry if you can never get in. <laughs> she was so sweet. She's so sweet and she just encourages me to be savage. And I just wonder if she like is living through my savagery. <laughs> She's like, you need to be more of a bitch. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, you're really, really sweet. I'm like, are you living through me? Like, She's like, say this, say that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, man. <laughs> uh, JK. All right. Today on the podcast. Mickey Agrawal. So excited. I'm so pumped. Yeah. So we got her book, Disrupt Her, in the mail. And this was actually a book. I read it cover to cover. I felt like it was 
awesome. There was, and we get a lot of, you know, self-help books. We get a lot of how-to guides. We get, you know, a good amount of love literature from amazing women. I love a lot of it. You know, some of it I'm not as interested in, but I felt like this was very different. Um, It was very pleasing to look at. I love that it was hardcover. And I really did find um, insightful information and takeaways from all the chapters. Yeah. Um, Mickey is just a badass. Um, She is so intelligent. She has really, no pun intended, disrupted like a lot of what is happening in the entrepreneurial space, you know, giving voices to things that are giving products and starting conversations around taboo subjects like pooping and periods. And I just love how unapologetic she is. And she has this like, it's it's thoughtful and degaff at the same time. Yeah, man. She's just kind of like, don't give a fuck. Like, I'm going to do this, you know? And, and she takes risks and she surrounds herself with people who you know, are incredibly inspiring themselves, but also are just down to like be on this journey of like disrupting the status quo. Yeah, amazing creators. And, you know, we started out the conversation talking about Tushy, which is her brand that's a bidet brand. So you can attach a bidet to make any toilet um, in your house or, you know, work or wherever a bidet. And so a bidet, you know, sprays water, cleans your butt. So it basically removes the need for use of toilet paper, which is something I've never thought about. And, you know, I just enjoy those things so much. Like I enjoy any opportunity to kind of rethink a paradigm that I'm currently living in. So for my whole life, you know, using toilet paper, it's kind of what you do, but never thinking about the fact that that is trees, that is, you know, using... Takes so much water to create Water, resources, and that there could be a better way that's more hygienic and more green and more thoughtful for the environment. So I felt like thinking about Tushy and I'm going to get a Tushy for our apartment um, is just such a beautiful way to disrupt a a thinking that we've had for so long. And it's also like for our own health. I mean, you can, tissue paper over time can create like anal fissures and like all this stuff. Like, and to have like little particles of the paper stuck in there, like you just don't know. And even think she, because I... I have like, you know, these nice wipes or whatever. And I thought that was good. But then the oils can do something. She explains it in the interview. But I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. I know. (laughs) Disrupt me. And I know literally. I'm ready. (laughs) And we talked about porn. And so we talked about securing a new age guy. So a snag, guy or girl. Um, Basically having a conscious relationship with the, you know, other sex or the same sex, whatever, you know, your partner preferences, but securing someone that is conscious, that is down to evolve, that is, um, you know, really going to go the distance with you in your evolutionary journey. And I think for a lot of the women listening to the podcast, you guys are all seekers. You know, you guys are all down for transformation. So to find a man that is as open and honest and aware as you can be challenging. And I really loved her her story in her journey with her partner and her husband uh, because he wasn't always, you know, as snaggy as he is now. And they've really just gone on a beautiful journey together where he is now just in awe of her, obsessed with her. He's always been, but just someone that's very... Um, down for learning, down for growth. And I was encouraged by the process of helping to work with your partner 
to get them on the path and journey to really discover themselves. Mm-hmm. So I learned from them. It's like so much of being in a relationship is about like letting go of the ego, especially for the guy where it's like, okay, you know, like for her to maybe call him out on some things and be like, this is important to me. And like, I know that like you can do this and like, this is a part of who you are. And for the man to take it as an opportunity rather than, you know, just a criticism or something that, you know, she would say just to bring him down. So I think, I think it's beautiful what they've done and how they share so openly. Yeah. And the porn thing was basically about his journey, you know, with porn. So I don't know if he was an addict or anything like that, but it was more of like the casual use, I believe, Mm -hmm. and just kind of rethinking why he used it, when he used it, her thoughts around it, incorporating that into the conversation. And I think it's a really great eye-opening thing for us to think about, you know, as we think about our partnerships and our relationships, like porn is so prevalent and how are we going to think about either incorporating it into our relationship in a conscious way or um, maybe moving away from it so that you can become more attached to the person that's in front of you rather than, you know, someone on a screen. Yeah. And as a last bit, what I really loved about her um, in her book, there's a lot of, it's kind of like interesting how it, it goes, like the chapters, you know, it's not like an evolution through the chapters and eat, but each of them was like equally as like powerful. Um, She talked about having a clean house and really focusing on things that you really love rather than like more, more, more. So like the capitalism behind it and kind of just being more conscious about the choices that you're making of what you're bringing into your house. So like a Marie Kondo type of way. Mm -hmm. And then um, I also really, really liked when she talked about replacing the word failure with revelation. So she kind of went into detail about some failures that she's had as an entrepreneur running many businesses um, and how those really helped to shape her to the person that she is today. And, you know, We all have failures, big or small, but really looking at those as a redirection on our path and something we can learn from. Yeah. I like how she's so kind of open and honest about things that have happened to her and always willing to answer questions and talk about it, um, which I think is just the mark of kind of this new age female entrepreneur. You know, it brings that feminine in, it brings that like vulnerability in. um, And I love that, like, the revelation of it. Yep, me too. Can't wait for you guys to listen to this one. We really enjoyed it. You know, we can't wait to see her and meet her in person. Um, she is definitely one to watch and she is very aligned to almost 30. And it's really exciting to have someone like her on. All right. We love you, Mickey. Um, enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, join our secret Facebook group. We have about 10,000 women in there talking every day, supporting one another, one another laughing, sharing. Um, it's just, it's the best part of the internet. And we are going on tour this year. So you can check out our schedule at almost30podcast.com. We have our first event in Austin. Yeah. Now up. So excited. It is going to be amazing. So our first event, Inclusion, Equity, and Courageous Awareness happening in Austin, Texas on March 26th from 6 to 8.30 p.m., at the refinery. So go to almost30podcast at gmail. Or, oh, oh, sorry, that's our email. <laughs> oops, 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 don't email us. Oopsie doopsie. <laughs> oops, email us a picture of you. Just kidding. Almost30podcast.com and you can get tickets to that event. It's with Rachel Rosen. And we are going to um, just really have a conversation very openly about how our identity impacts how people experience us and really walk away with an increased clarity on unconscious biases and blind spots. So, 
I am so excited about this topic. I'm so excited about Rachel Rosen. This is the perfect event to attend. We look forward to seeing you, Austin. You're one of our favorite cities Mm -hmm. to visit. So March 26th, 6 to 8.30 p.m. The refinery is bomb too. Um, So cannot wait for this one. Cannot wait. All right, we'll see you on the other side. We're so excited to see your face. Oh my god! And chat. Those glasses are too too fresh. Too fresh, girl. Too fresh. I'm a little Edna mode, but you know. Is oh. that a robe? Robe or a robe outfit? It's like no, no. no it's two robes in one. <laughs> I'm wearing it. literally two robes right now because it's cold. No it's more. cold in New York, and not that it's cold in the house. I just, I just like the coziness of two robes. Meat. Oh, I same. Love that. I was thinking about that the other day when I left the house. I was wearing like yoga pants all day. And I was like, God, I need to get out of these clothes and put on a robe. I'm like, wow, this is where I'm at in my life. I know. I had an all hands meeting for my company yesterday. Wore this robe. Dude. Yes. (laughs) Respect. I'm like, I, I, this is my new, I just feel like it's cool. You know, it feels, I could, you know, it's very, it's just is. It is. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I'm kind of like Harvey Weinstein in it. I just right. like, I'm wearing my robe 24-7. <laughs> no matter if people like it or not. <laughs> uh, but there's nothing better than a good robe. Is that your wallpaper? No, this Piece is a art? big It's a big painting. Damn, yeah. that is beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, it's That true. is so beautiful. That's yeah. like calming yeah. just to look at. Yeah, I know, honestly. It was a gift for my wedding. I got, <laughs> so on the other side of this gigantic painting, is like a bunch of notes from all of my best ah. friends, family members with all like these little love notes. And we I, I have Indians. We had like an Indian ceremony as well. So it was like rice and flowers being thrown from the Indian wedding. And so she had like put the rice and the flowers behind here. So it's like, oh. you know, it's all, it's just all, it's, infused. it's just full of love. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly infused. God, I'm obsessed with that. I like, I want to be, yeah, that's a great, I want to be cultured and cool enough to buy my, like, them art. Yeah. <laughs> like, yo, this is what no, no, my, no, my, no, my friend painted it. She's an artist. Oh. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Say no more. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. here's a oven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are well, you guys based? We're, we're in LA. We're in LA. Yeah. Amazing. That's why you guys have, like, a glow. So I'm, I'm like, yellowing a little bit. <laughs> Oh, no. honey, we have a ring light behind you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we needed to br- bring some light in here. <laughs> so uh, are you out in LA a lot? I do. I come to LA like, you know, a few t- couple times a year, maybe three cool. times a year. Yeah. So we'll definitely connect. Yeah, I would yeah, love that. I'd love I was like, you. I was wishing you were coming in person because you have such a good energy. I was like excited to chat in person. But of course, this is going to be just as amazing. But I was like <laughs> thinking you were coming today. I was like, oh, I'm so excited to talk <laughs> to you. We dressed really... up for you. Yeah, literally. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I just, I did turn 40. So. <laughs> no, oh, amazing. No, yeah, That's amazing. Turned, and you look 12. Yeah. Like your well, skin is like a baby. I, I am in my robe with these gigantic glasses on. No, so you're, look, you're stunning. Out. Say no more, fam. Is this crazy? Say no more, fam. Yo, the cover <laughs> the cover is the best cover we've probably ever seen. I actually like- have been reading it. I actually read, I'm almost, <laughs> not actually have, but I've almost done. And girl, I mean, it's really like, it is so powerful and you know, to be honest, we get books all the time. And this yeah. one has seriously been one that has really stuck with me as 
hitting a lot of what's relevant with women today. There have been a bunch of points where you almost catch me before, like you are on my thought process and you catch me when I'm thinking something and you catch the reader as they're thinking something and you kind of guide them to the appropriate solution for things, which is like really beautiful. I loved the part where you switched the typing of the font. So it's like right to left instead of left to right. I think that was really cool. And it's like, why are we writing? Like it's just, it's just to kind of like make you question everything in our lives. It's just because it's like, why are we doing everything that we're doing? Is it because we've been forced to do it from like, you know, society, which is basically people from centuries past, or are we doing it because we actually want to be doing it? It feels really right for us. And it's just permission, you know. A hundred percent. And there's a lot. So I want to go through a lot of the, the parts in the book that were really relevant to me that I really want to dig in with you, but would love to kind of start with your story. I think I, wow, I've, I've been digging in on your story. Listen to the Pornhub podcast. Killed it. I fucking love that one. You were crushed. But your story is so layered. I just like didn't know that you had so many facets. And I would love to share, you know, starting from where you grew up. It doesn't need to be super detailed, but the really important pivotal moments of your life that brought you to the place where you are today, where you're writing this really, really powerful manifesto. I mean, I think it it really started with growing up in Montreal, Canada with you know, to a Japanese mother and Indian father. And they were both literally off the boat from India, from Japan. You know, my father came here with $5 in his pocket from India. And really, you know, in in one generation with my Japanese mother who barely spoke English, built the American dream for us. And they had no community, no family, nothing in the beginning when they first came here. And rather than complaining about stuff, they just joined the Hindi, like, you know, community, they joined the Japanese community, they became organizers where they would host like constantly host fun functions and dinners and hangs. They built a community from the ground up. Like we played then we they put us in soccer since we were like four years old. And they were the ones who like, you know, really wrangled all the parents together, brought the food, brought like fresh oranges and samosas, which are like Indian like pastry things. And I know. And they would just they would just like constantly organized, which then created community. And I remember when we were like in elementary school, you know, there there wasn't a gifted children's summer camp. And my parents were like, oh, there's a sports camp. There's like a regular day camp, but there's no gifted children's summer camp. And my mom was like, all right, well, you know, I don't have any experience in building this stuff, but without any complaining, she just built Montreal's first gifted children's summer camp and there were 500 kids that went to it like every year for like 15 years. Whoa. Wow. And it was just like, and then, and then, you know, a couple of years later we were doing, you know, they, 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 my, my dad was like, oh my God, electronics are going to be the future. This is pre cell phones, pre computer, pre like, you know, I mean, computer, Commodore 64s were just kind of popping off, you know, where you had to like, like the cassette tape. Anyway, it was just still really early. And they were like, the, you know, the future is electronics. So we should teach children electronics. And so without any experience, they built these really cute electronics kits that, you know, my mom drew the pictures, my dad wrote the manual, he's an aeronautical engineer, and basically taught kids how to make like burglar alarms and how to make like lights <laughs> flashing with LED lights and how to make like just all these switches that turn it off and made sounds, just all these cool things. And it, it made us really comfortable as children to play with electronics. But the point was, they were like, we're going to start this electronics kits company. And they sold these kits all over Canada. And it ran for a number of years. My mom, my Japanese mom was like, I am the president of Tomorrow's 
professionals. And it was, wow. like, and it was called Tomorrow's Professionals. Mom. And they were just so cute. And they just, they just did it without complaining. They would just never complain. They just, they were doers from start to finish. And we just followed suit. You know, I'm an identical twin. And I have a third sister who's 11 months older. And the three of us were just like immersed in, you know, all the cultures, you know, because we were in Montreal, Monday to Friday was French school, Saturday was Japanese school, and Sunday was Hindi school. So it was just sort of like, we were just in it. Wow. And then you went to Cornell for school? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I played soccer all four years there. And then after that, you got iBank. You got into iBanking. Yes. Were yep. you just like looking like, because I know that's probably a normal path for someone from Cornell to go totally. into iBanking. It was so, the only option back yeah. then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what were you th- like? Were you just like, okay, this is what I'm doing? Like, did you have as much of a disruptor mentality when you were in college going into your job or, or what was that like? Well, I mean, entrepreneurship wasn't really an option back in 2001. You know, there wasn't any of that. And so it was like management consulting, investment banking going back to grad school, law school, you know, lawyer. It was like working for a bank business. There wasn't like, there was no Facebook at the time. It's 2001. There was no, um, there was just no social media. There was none of it. There was no, like your phones were still like those flip phones at the Motorola's. It was the thing that brought me to New York city was becoming an investment banker. It was like the job that paid us the most money to like pay off some of our student loan debt and get us to, to New York. And we both were the my twin sister and I both were investment bankers and we were both the worst investment bankers known to human <laughs> In what way? <laughs> we just we just A, we were not I mean at the time, like we you know, we weren't finance people. We were like the communications and business, but not really finance. And so we like were the ones who had to stay late during the training period for two and a half months. We're like, okay, how to put financial models together, how to put Ooh. the spreadsheets together, how to like do all of the mo- all of the just put just everything. And we were just like fish out of water. And what was so interesting was, you know, we start our job in the first week of September and my subway stop every single morning was two world trade center. And I would basically grow, you know, get off two world trade center and walk across the street to um, my office, but first get tea with my girlfriend who worked on the hundredth floor. And then I would walk across the street and then nine 11 happened and it was truly the only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. You know, every, like 700 people in my girlfriend's office died. Two people in my office died. And it was the only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. And it was just one of those crazy aha wake up call days where I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, this is not, I'm not going to do this for one more second because I could die like in the next hour and I'm just going to fulfill my dreams. And so I just sort of wrote down three things I want to do with my life. You know, the first was to play soccer professionally because why not? The second was to make movies. And then the third was to start a business. And then very quickly over the course of the next couple of years, you know, played soccer. I tried out for the New York Magic soccer team, made the team, made the starting lineup, was so excited to quit my job, but then had my, you know, tore my first ACL within the first eight minutes of my, of my professional career. So I had to, you know, stay to get the health insurance and the whole thing. And then Went back out the following year, made the team again, made the starting lineup again, and then tore my other ACL in a semifinal game. And it was mm-hmm. just terrible. So I was like, all right, it's not my calling. And then dusted off my film resume, you know, started picking up trash on the streets on like 
driving directors around, getting producers coffee. My Asian parents were having freaking heart attacks. They were like, why did I send you to Cornell University? If you're going to be doing this stuff, I don't understand. <laughs> and it was just such a, it was, a, it was hard, you know, to really like swallow your pride and just kind of do what you had to do to like really like learn about storytelling, to really learn about the film industry. And very quickly worked my way up to producing commercials and music videos. And then that's when I had my idea for my very first business, which was born out of a stomach ache. You know, when I was working on sets of commercials and music videos, I would eat all these craft service tables and just like, there was like pigs in the blanket. There was like M&Ms and all this like garbage food that I was like still paying off my student loan debt. And I was like, free food. And I would just eat it constantly. That would be like my meals. And I would just come home with terrible stomach aches all the time. And I just finally was like, oh, what the fuck's going on? And I just went to, I went to research it. And I was like, oh my God, like the world of food opened up to me. And it was like the massive processed food industry, the hormones, the antibiotics, the pesticides, the preservatives, all the stuff that was making people really intolerant in the food. And that was what was hurting me. And I was like, I started thinking about the foods that I had to give up. And my favorite comfort food at the time that I had to give up was pizza. And when you kind of think about pizza, pizza is like a, you know, a $32 billion industry. And Americans eat 100 acres of pizza every single day. No. Oh, yeah. wow. That is a fact I've never heard wow. before. A stat. It's Damn. crazy. And, right? Love, God bless America. <laughs> right? And so, and yet... Pizza was, you know, at the time was only made with bleached flour, processed cheese, sugar-filled sauces, processed toppings, and it was causing more and more people to have intolerances, to have stomach aches, bloating, like feeling of like, oh, I need to take a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And go to bed. Um, yeah. And so that was when the first ding 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 idea hit. Like, what if we created? What if I was able to create New York City's first gluten-free, farm-to-table, local, organic pizza concept? And then I just kind of went for it and it was one of the hardest things to do to go and, you know, raise the money for the restaurants, never had any experience working the restaurant, never had, you know, it was, I didn't raise any money. So eventually I had to like, I, I basically had my friend who's a white man with a British accent present my idea for me so that <laughs> we can raise money and it worked. It was so yeah. crazy. Yeah. And so you know, if you can't, if you can't beat the system, at least, you know, you join them, you work it, you play with it and see what happens. And so, you know, very quickly, you know, I spent the next seven years like working my restaurants, just trying to make it work, learning everything about business, working like a dog seven days a week, 9am to 2am. It was the hardest time of my life. You know, I was such a fish out of water. I didn't know what I was doing again, but I learned a lot, you know, and I think in order to really learn, you have to put yourself in these positions of torture. <laughs> and so what I learned from that experience was that as soon as after seven years of busting my ass, I brought in a co-founder, a partner to run the businesses you know, with me. He's a restaurateur through and through, had 20 years experience running restaurants. And literally within the first week of him taking over the restaurants, our numbers doubled. Whoa. Yeah. And within the first month, our numbers tripled. And I was Damn. like, gonna, I was like, where do I put the gun to my head? Do I put it in my head? <laughs> Could you imagine? Amazing, like, but, seven, never. <laughs> but like seven years of just busting my ass. And it was such a lesson where, wow, like I just need to focus on what I do best and let other people focus on what they do, do best too. And that was such a lesson from that, from that moment. 
is when my partner Wally took over to Wild. It's called Wild. Definitely check out eatdrinkwild.com. It's a really sweet place. It's been running now for 15 years. It's crazy. Wow, amazing. I would then, it then freed up my time to start my next venture, which was Fix. And that was also born, born out of necessity. And it was just, um, it was at my family barbecue with, you know, we were defending our three legged race championship title with my twin sister. And in the middle of the race, my twin sister started her period. And we had to like sprint through the finish line, still tied to each other. So she can, you know, so she can change out her bathing suit bottom, but to go as fast as we could. And as she took off her, un- her bathing suit bottoms and was washing the blood out, I just like, that's when the idea hit. It was like, oh my God, wouldn't it be amazing to create a pair of underwear that never leaked, that never stained, that supported women every day of the month during really important times like these. And then, you know, a few years later, we kind of tabled the idea. We we're still kind of wrapping up the restaurant. And then finally, after I found Walid, I was able to pick it back up again. We brought in a third co-founder and started really building the product. And it took us four years to create the product and to really create a product that we really loved. And then 2015 we, is when we just took off and the company, you know, hit over $100 million in, in valuation you know, very, very quickly. And then that's when so much crazy shit, you know, went down for me. It was like one of the most intense, you know, interesting experiences when you go through a really huge growth spurt, you hire a lot of people. And then, you know, after you hire a lot of people, you have to like, kind of like look at your culture and then make tough decisions. And I had to let a few people go. And then I had this crazy ass like allegation against me after they were, it was just like a wild, painful, uh, ugly, unfair, uncomfortable thing that I just, what I learned from that experience was that media is really fickle. Media will like lift you up and then take you down the next moment. You know, I learned yeah, that, yeah. you know, I, yeah, right. I've learned that you have to be really, really discerning with who you pick on your team. You know, you have to, you have to hire for culture and not hire for like just putting butts in seats fast. You have to really hire for culture and really think that through before you, before you bring people on. I learned that, you know, I was still new. We were a bunch of girls where we were just all fighting the good fight, like trying to change culture and like talk about vaginas and breasts and buttholes and all the things like (laughs) without like any stigma because we all poop. We all go, all women have our periods. It's so normal. And I learned that, you know, sometimes things get taken wildly out of context after. And so you just have to be really, really careful. And so, and then, you know, I stepped down as CEO in 2017 and then, I'm really started focusing on my next venture, which is Tushy, which is looking at really shifting the way Americans use the toilet. In the way we wipe ourselves has not changed since the late 1800s. You know, dry paper to wipe our butts is actually like crazy when you really, really stopped and thought about it for a second. You know, if you if you like if you like jumped in the shower and not turned your water on, would you just use dry paper and call yourself clean? It's so weird when I like read about Tushy, like in Disruptor, I was like, what? You know, it was, it was honestly like a disruption for me where I'm like, whoa, I've never thought about that. Why bidets make sense and why it's contributing to, you know, deforestation. There's, you know, so much that you talk about and I want to really dig into that, like the reasoning behind it. But that is like crazy. I'd love to talk about, and I there's just so many things to dig into. I yeah. I think just overarching, like you have just thrown yourself into these visions and these intuitive hits 
without any experience. And I think a lot of women, uh, myself included, sometimes are paralyzed by inexperience and the thought of, well, I've never done it before and no one's ever done it before. So how could I ever do it? So what about you? What about your process keeps you moving forward and, and progressing and changing these industries? Honestly, it's not an intention to like, to create movements. It just kind of like, you can't like predict, you can't be like, I'm going to create a movement. You have to just be passionate about the thing that you're passionate about and a movement will follow. I mean, like for me, what I really cared about was like solving my period problems. Like I was leaking every single month and it wasn't working and I was very irresponsible with my period because I was very busy and would forget to change my tampon and pad would just leak everywhere. And it was just like such a pain point for me. And same thing with Tushy. It's like every time I went to the bathroom and pooped, I would do, I would be the, so the average American uses 57 sheets of toilet paper per day. You know, a single roll of toilet paper requires 37 gallons of water to press the paper down. And it's like, it's like such a, it's such a dumb, obvious thing for, that we've kind of overlooked because we've just been doing it for so long. And so, you know, it was something that I was so interested in and, you know, I, I felt so dirty going to the bathroom and just using dry paper. So I would be the one jumping the shower after I went to the bathroom, wasting so much extra water, wasting my time. I'd be the one who's using the 57 sheets of toilet paper per day and like wetting wads of toilet paper first and then like doing the wetting and then the drying and then the wetting again and then the drying again to try and get all the poop out of there. Cause I'm just really, it's just, I'm so conscious of the fact that like the bird pooped on your head, like you wouldn't take a dry paper and wipe it off and call yourself clean. Like it just would, you know, you'd go and wash it off. And so it's just kind of like, I just never understood that. And so I just, for me, it was like, every time I went to the bathroom, it was such an ordeal. And so I'm just like, there's gotta be a simple, precise way to do this where I don't have to buy a multi-thousand dollar Japanese toilet, which requires electricity and plumbing in my rental. And I'm not interested in that. You know, or those weird French bidets where you have to like shimmy over with your poopy butt to clean them, which is like doesn't make any sense either. Right. So it was just like, I wanted an affordable, modern, beautiful product, $69 product that easily clips onto my toilet and turns any toilet into a bidet in 10 minutes without plumbing, without electrical required. Like anyone who can hang a painting can, can do it. You know, I can't even hang a painting and I install my own tushy. So it was just sort of like, I wanted to have solve a pain point for you know those who really are grossed out by the current way of wiping ourselves that we have access to like we're talking right now on a zoom link on the internet and yet the minute we step into our bathrooms poof we're back into the 1800s and why because we're so uncomfortable talking about this stuff we're so uncomfortable talking about like you know the things that we all do every single day it's just because it's taboo because it's uncomfortable to talk about and therefore there's been very little innovation in it so it was just like such a, to me, obvious, you know, like thing to create. And then now it's just like become a thing where people are like, wait a minute, like, why don't we use bidets? Wait a minute. Like we should be using, oh my God, I bought a tushy. It's changed my life. Like, oh my God, all of a sudden it's a dinner table conversation. All of a sudden Saturday Night Live is talking about it. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, the zeitgeist is, is, is shifting slowly in this country. And it's just about educating people, giving them permission to talk about it and then trying something new. Yeah. And that's what actually when, you know, 
I was thinking about you and I was thinking about how growing up in uh, Montreal and then growing up to a Japanese mother and an Indian father also puts you in... Actually, I'd be curious of your thoughts, but from my perspective, it kind of seems like it puts you at such a place where you you question because you're coming into the US society or American society looking at where I, I've been indoctrinated into this culture. This is the culture is all that I've known. My family grew up here and it's kind of the way things have gone. So, you know, I'm starting to question it now and I have been for the past couple of years. But if you're coming from the outside and you're coming from Canada and then you're coming from Japan and you're coming from India, um, it really provides you an opportunity or a foundation to start questioning things that maybe we don't see. Absolutely. That's a hundred percent spot on perspective. I think just by being born to a Japanese woman and an Indian man in and of itself, interracial marriage, like the fact that they got together against all odds in 1974 and chose to marry each other and walking around in Canada, people would look at them because they're an interracial couple. You know, so back then it was still very, very odd. So I think I was already I was born to disruptive parents, you know, who decided to disrupt their own belief systems. You know, my mom's family said, either you marry this Indian man, you know, or we, and we cut off, cut you off financially, or you come home. And then my dad was like, oh my God, like my dad's family said, you, you know, you have an arranged marriage for you in India. Like you're going to really let the family down if you marry this Japanese woman. And they said, fuck it. And they just married each other against all odds. And I think, just by being who they are really inspired just the disruptive mentality. Mm. Yeah. Disrupting kind of runs in the family in a really progressive way. And I'm, I'm curious too, I mean, even just your parents have kind of rewritten the story of what was traditional in their families. And, and you mentioned just storytelling and how that's so important to you and something that you're passionate about. So what points of, you know, the story of just women in the world and you know women in history have you been really focused on rewriting and and how have you done that yeah i mean i think just just by building the businesses that i've built I, it's just been so interesting because i've just received so much pushback over the course of the last you know 15 years of my life where society was like, no one's going to buy your product. No one's going to eat your disgusting gluten-free cardboard-like pizza. No one's going to invest in your company. No one's going to bleed in their underwear. Ew, disgusting. I would never wash that. Meanwhile, you're washing like your sheets and all of your clothes that are stained with your... You know, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like no one's going to... Yeah, exactly. No one's going to you know spray poop everywhere with water. It's like, that's not how it works. You know, when you use a bidet, it pulls it down. It's precise. It's clean. It's 10,000 times cleaner than using dry paper, which leaves infections and diseases to the tune of 30 million combined cases of chronic UTIs, hemorrhoids, anal fissures, anal itching, all these issues that you have to deal with because they're using dry paper. So, you know, it's just like, it's... People are like so quick to like, ugh. just put you down when they probably have zero knowledge of any of Anything. those stats. No. I wonder the what troll, that is. Like, because it's just a knee-jerk trolling culture that we live in a culture of complaint. I mean, even if you look at you know, the show girls or like whatever, like, you know, as much as they're like speaking the truth or it's just a culture of complaining. That's being, that's what's they're allowing for. It's like whining about this, complaining about that, complaining about this. And it's just like, you know, on, on one hand, it's, it's inspiring that, that you can be so transparent, but on the other hand, it's like giving permission to this, this sort of culture of like, just constantly talking shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, 
so so just in my experience of receiving so much pushback, no one's going to invest, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it turns out people do want to try it. It turns out society was wrong. People want to try these products. I mean, like, like I said, the companies are valued now to collectively at well over 150 million, 200 million plus now. And it's like, obviously people are interested in shifting culture, right? And so if society's wrong about all these things that I receive so much hate and pushback on, then clearly society's wrong about a lot of other things in the world. And so I spent you know, the last two years really focusing on 13 major areas in a woman's life where we've been told how to think, act, and be. This is the way it is, or else you're going to be shamed and you're going to be you know, called names and you'll be put down or taken down, whatever. You know, This is the way it is in 13 areas of your life. Areas like career, like money, like co- complaint, culture of complaining, like you know, activism, like patriarchy, feminism, like, you know, women on women hate, like just all of these things. There's just the the notion that you have to get serious as you grow up. You know, we've been told to get your head out of the clouds, sit down, be quiet. You know, if you want to go to college and shut up and listen, if you want to get a job, then shut up and listen. You know, your voice isn't a part of this equation. Just sit here and be quiet. And then you think about like the way we've been teaching our children, the standardized tests, the rows of desks, that literally was instilled in the instated in the industrial revolution when all these factories were being formed and children were having to learn to basically become factory workers so they can basically be cogs in the machine if one person calls out sick in the factory another cog from school that is like that's learned to be obedient can just be put there to like operate the machinery in the same way the other person and it's just like the fact that children are learning like that today it's no wonder that Adderall Depressant, all the antidepressants, all of these medications, all of these things are, you know, to the tune of billions and billions of dollars because we're just doing things like the days of old because that's just the way it's been done and it's not working. So, you know, talking about money, like can't talk about it. It's tacky. Why? Who, who does that support? Only supports the patriarchy. Women can't talk about it. It's tacky. It only creates this power dynamic that's not, that, that, that's, that's fair to some and not fair to others. You know, when you talk about women on women hate, it's hard to talk about it because you don't want to like, you know, like uh, you don't want to trigger the social justice warriors who are just going to now get, jump into the loudest person is going to be the one on their soapbox is screaming at you. And you're like, I don't want to deal with that. But then you're like, but I don't really espouse to the things that you're espousing to. And guess what? Like when you're hating on someone else, like likely it's because you're hating on something about yourself. And like, we just can't focus on ourselves for a second. It's all about blame, blame, blame. And so like the whole book is really focusing on like, what can I do? What are the actionable steps I can take for myself that can really disrupt my own life in the most positive, daring, powerful way possible and not blame others, just do it for myself and give myself permission in every area of my life. Because when I do, holy shit, magic can happen. You can build the biggest dreamiest, coolest business. You can, you can find the career you love. You find the deepest love of your life. You really like find that snag. In my book, I talk about the snag, secure new age guy, you know, to really find your secure guy <laughs> who towards you. You know, it's just like, it's right there. If you just break out of this societal preconditioning, which is the hardest thing to do. Yeah, it is. And um, our community definitely is down with it and has been exploring it as well. And, you know, my life has completely changed since kind of taking that information on. And that's what I love about your book is it is a radical responsibility for yourself and taking ownership and taking back control of your own life and figuring out 
like who you are in everything, not letting life just happen to you, not letting, you know, career happen to you or all these things happen to you and then playing victim to um, the situation or circumstance. And I wanted to talk about, you know, the snag, the secure new age guy and kind of explore that um, with our community, letting them know what that is and how to find and foster that relationship. Yes. Perfect. I will read the, the part about the snag. I can read. Oh yeah, great. It's on page 242. A snag is a secure new age guy who has tapped into both his masculine and feminine sides. He is strong yet sensitive, loves exploring and enjoys mindfulness and culture. He's openly able to share his feelings, shed tears and not feel emasculated. Emasculated. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, when his partner tells him what they like in bed, a snag is someone who really loves learning and growing as a human and never thinks he's done growing. He is not only willing to do the work on himself, but he is excited to unlock more within himself. He is secure enough to find authentic joy in his partner's accomplishments instead of being jealous or competing with them. I mean, yeah, I mean, fresh. <laughs> so, did you meet your husband and then, or your now husband, and, and then, like, did you work backwards? You were like, oh, Andrew is this, or did you know what a snag was before? No, no. I mean, he was pretty broy when I met him, wow. you know. But he had the snag qualities within. He has an incredibly pr- powerful mother, you know. He who's written a bunch of books on anti-bullying. So she's just like, he just grew up like he's a sensitive person. But at the same time, he's also he was also like, you know, like the social chair of his frat at, his, at Virginia Tech. You know what I mean? Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> no more. So yeah. So it just sort of like. It's it's something that we as women get to teach, and rather than getting angry and being like, "Oh, you should know this stuff," you know, men are the vic- victims of patriarchy too. You know, men haven't asked to like have to dominate and hold their feelings in. You know, you know that it's more acceptable in today's society for men to be violent than to be emotional, and it's just like it, that's there, there's there's so much unfairness there too, where men have to kind of puff their chests out. And like pretend that they're fine, but they're not. And it's like more suicides are by men, more just like more killings are done by men. It's just because there's just bottled up inside. And so the idea is that like, you know, we're liberating ourselves as much as we're liberating men. And it's really on us as women to do it because we really hold all the power in our wombs. And I talk about in my book, The Bonobo Ape Method. And the idea is that the bonobo apes, you know, in the monkey, the monkey apes, they basically, they operate as a matriarchy. And so every time there's an aggressive male bonobo that tries to get with a female bonobo, all the females come together and shun the male away, the aggressive male away. And that aggressive male dies a lonely, miserable death by himself. And the female bonobos will only choose to procreate with the kindest, gentlest, most loving male bonobos. And so in one generation can turn an otherwise aggressive society into a kind, gentle, loving one. Literally in one generation, because all the aggressive male, males don't procreate. There's no none of that sort of like tradition will, will 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 continue on. So it's really on us. Like I birthed a son, and I know that like when you birth a man, and all of a sudden like you 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 birth you first of all you you house him inside your your womb. You then you go through the pain of birth. Then he births, and then he suckles on your teeth for like a year at least. You know, and then you raise him, you feed him, you clothe him, you bathe him. And then men often turn around and oppress women. It's a joke, right? Like it kind of makes, it makes you really angry. And I, I totally understand that. But 
they're again just taught by their surroundings of what they see and what they watch and the porn and how the, it's just all of it. So, you know, the book is to say like, let us not lead with outrage. Outrage does not work. Women's March, Futures Female T-shirts, that isn't the way to true equality and union. That's just all that's doing is, is strengthening the patriarchy because we're marching against someone, you know? And it's just like, it feels... It was authentic in the 1920s and in the 1900, early 1900s when it needed to happen. But today, we're smarter than that. You know, today, 64% of, of mothers are either primary or co-breadwinners. So women, like we have, the, we have now the purse strings to tug on as well. So we can choose who we procreate with. A generation ago, we didn't have that luxury. You know, Men were the working ones which had the power. Women were stay at home with their children, which didn't have the power. And so that was the power dynamic that made women have to stay and freaking bite their tongue and deal with aggressive men who just, you know, whatever, weren't, weren't, weren't that nice to them. But today, you know, women are in a very, very different position and have to, you know, now are, are able to really make a different call. That in and of itself can shift the, shift the patriarchal conditioning really fast if we all together collectively as women said, nope. To assholes. Oftentimes, like culturally, it's like you still kind of want the bad boy ass. You know, it's kind of like somehow it's still so deeply indoctrinated that that's kind of sexy, but it's actually not. And and you can be manly and masculine, but not be an asshole. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's a very clear distinction. You can still revere your woman, like my man reveres me, and yet he's still such a man to me, like a burly hot dude who's mm-hmm. like, there's no, he's not kowtowing to my every need. He just, he just lifts me up powerfully, you know? Mm. So that's, that's where I think women can really teach, teach their men. You know, it takes time. I've been with him for almost eight years. It took the first two years to really focus on, you know, getting, you know, him, him off porn. And how did you have those conversations? Mm -hmm. I guess the big question is like, how did you liberate him? To do that because he said it was inside of him. So, like, in what ways can our girls, you know, do that with? Our I, I think it's just by by sharing. It's just like you know, like what we have is sacred, and I'm, you know, it's it's not really about the destination, which I know what porn is really all about, just like getting off, where it's really about like like really loving the journey. And I think what really stuck with him was the conversation around surfing, <laughs> and because he's a surfer and he loves surfing. And I just said to him, it's like, you know how like you're out there on the in the water for like four straight hours and you can maybe catch like one or two waves and you have the best day ever because like you're out in nature, you're sitting there in the sun. You know, you, you might catch a couple of waves. Like the, the couple of waves are like the destination. It's like the orgasm, right? Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time you're enjoying nature, you're enjoying the sun, you're like loving paddling out. It's just a fun, like beautiful experience. And like, that's what, sex should be like too, you know? Like imagine if rather than it being like, oh, I have to like spend my time and caress her and get her off. And my, you know, it's just a lot like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Like I really get to like enjoy this moment with the person I love. And then he, then over time, he just started to crave it over time. Like porn, you know, became something that was less and less interesting because it was not serving him either. He was just, he understood that it's sort of like, it's 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 actually not serving his mental you know like ability to really be the man that he wanted to be for me and for 
for, you know, to be really, to really support women around the world, which is what one of his whole things is, is really like helping men master their, their emotions. And he started this thing called the Junto, which is a, a plate. It's a, it's a, it's almost like a rite of passage for men to, to get to emotional mastery. And um, you can check out wejunto.com. It's really, really cool. And, but it, but it was really amazing. It's amazing that now he can really go there because he was one of the guys who watched porn originally. He really understands. There's no shaming. He's not like, oh, you guys are so low vibrational. You watch porn. He's like, no, no, no. I watched porn since I was 11 years old. I Mm -hmm. get it. I get how hard it is to get off it. I get how, how ingrained it is in your psyche. And I get like all the things that you've watched. That was really, unfortunately, something that educated you too much about sex. And like, you know, and, and maybe like it's because it's so deeply in there, you think that that's what you like, but maybe we can show you another way that you'll fall in love even more. That would be such a deeper connectedness where you can feel even more safe to be emotional yourself, which then liberates you too. And it's just a, it's a beautiful rising tide, you know, mm-hmm. situation. So it's interesting too, how we've been indoctrinated with the porn culture. You know, I, yeah. And I, I have such a hard time, not like a hard time, but I, I you know, I, I think a, a good amount about the porn thing because I am uh, someone that is, you know, against my partner who I've been with for a long time watching it. But then there is part of me too that wants to him to be sexually liberated and wants him, you know what I mean? That's what exactly what I said to him too. I'm like, I don't want you to feel like you're holding back anything, however, and feel like I'm restricting you and being like, you can't do this. At the same time, I'm just like, I just want you to like think about, you know, like how that, you know, that really lands for me, you know, because mm-hmm. because your eyes are really taking in a woman getting like railed from behind. I know. And like, like I just and want it, you to think about that porn star's dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, no, but like, like, you know, I met Asa Kira. She's a very empowered porn star. I love her so much. She's amazing. And like, and again, if you're watching porn responsibly and you start later in life and you're like, you know, really enjoying it for just the sake of enjoying it, but not addicted to it, it's kind of, it's just a different thing, you know, because if you're addicted to it, then it, 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 it really does fuck with your brain as a man. They do show that your brain does disintegrate a little bit. Like it does get dumber with time when you're just like passively ingesting something. And, and also like, moreover, if you really want to be an elevated person, you know, you, you do understand, like there is a deeper level of understanding that there is a, it is a, a little bit more lower vibrational to constantly be switching from different catalogs of different women constantly over time that, that really may not be serving the depths of the relationship. And so, you know, it's, it was a really, really hard thing for us to go through, but I think, you know, you have to let him get it, get there for himself a lot too, and just be like, Hey, like, Talk to this guy about it. Talk to that guy about it. Watch Don John the movie. You know, like oh, they should, yeah. everyone should watch Don John the movie. It was so brilliant. It was such mm-hmm. a turning point for Andrew and I when we watched that because he really showed. It was like Scarlett Johansson. This guy got this girl. You know, Scar- isn't it Joseph Gordon Levitt? Joseph Gordon Levitt. He finally got the girl Scarlett Johansson, and they were like having sex. But it was it was like any like anything else. Like sex can be mechanical when you're in it, and like when you're watching porn, it's a fantasy. So he would like sneak away from Scarlett Johansson and would like jerk off. You know what I mean? And it was so interesting because he wasn't satisfied with the hottest chick ever. So he was like, oh my God. And she left him. And then Julianne Moore, who was an older woman, came into the picture and really taught him how to slow down and really love and like eye gaze and like 
really like be with your person. And then he really got it. And I think it's just like, it's like you, it's, that's the thing. You can't lead with outrage. And I've tried that, believe me. (laughs) And it doesn't work. Like I've tried that in every aspect of my life where I get upset, you know, and I'm like short fuse and I'm like, oh, and I'm just like, that just does not work. And so the way to do it is actually by meeting people where they are, you know, and then kind of gently getting them to this new place. And I think in my book, I talk about Whole Foods Market and how John Mackey, who's the founder of Whole Foods Market, for, he's a staunch vegan and he's also the godfather to my son, my, my son oh, Hero. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing. He's been such an incredible friend to me over the last, the last many, many years. Um, and so, so, so he, he and I talked about it and I was like, you know, you're a staunch vegan. Like why are Whole Foods offer meat? And he was like, well, Whole Foods used to be a vegetarian store. Not only did we not offer meat, we did not offer coffee or white sugar or, or flour, white flour. Like we were really, we were really radical back in the seventies. And guess what? Like almost within a year, we almost shut our business down. We almost went out of business because nobody was coming in the doors. And so we had a choice. Either we can get really outraged at people for eating meat and you shouldn't be killing animals and you're a bad person and blah, blah, blah. Like how dare you? Or we meet people where they are, offer the best kinds of meat possible. And then once they're in, we can teach them the ways the plant-based diet. And I talk about how now, you know, today Whole Foods is this year in 2019, Whole Foods is going to be, is going to pass $18 billion in revenue and has helped millions of more people adopt a plant-based diet because it really met people where they are first and then showed them a new way. And I think when it comes to fighting the patriarchy, dealing with our men, like they're still wrapped up in it too. It's so deep. And even it, for us, it's so deep. That to really bring it out, like we have to kind of like, first of all, pick the ones who are really willing to do the work because there are men out there who are just assholes that are just like, you just, ca- they just have to die off. And like, you know what Dude, I mean? I, actually, I say that shit all the time. And I'm you, like, just, that's cool. just, you just can't. That's a bad, but it's true. And then there are people like my husband who had, has it in him and who had it in him forever, just was on the outside, was a bit, the, you know, a bit bro and a bit whatever but really wants to do the work, is so keen to do it. Like when we started together, he would watch the videos on how to like touch my clit properly. You know, like he would really like go there and he did it. He just did it with all of himself because he was so curious to learn. I think that's the kind of men who we have to choose. Like we have to choose men who are willing and curious and down to do the work, not the ones who are just set in their ways, like take it or leave it. This is who I am. And blah, no. blah, blah. You're like, all right, peace. I'm out, you know? <laughs> so Truly. That's, that's, oh, that's amazing. That's really important. So much about patience too. I mean, across the board for you in your life, with your relationships, with your businesses, like, yeah. you know, being with your restaurants for that amount of time and then taking four years to really develop, you know, the Thinks product. And it's just a lot of people want satisfaction and happiness and results now. Really, I know. And it's like... And my relationship, I mean, eight years. We're eight years it, in. Exactly. And people are like, oh, I couldn't take... You know, after the first month, it wasn't... I'm like, it takes time. Like, if you really... If you love the person and everything else in your life is great, they're, oh, the sex is bad. I'm not going to... Yeah, I can't do it. It's just like... But if everything else is great and you and you love him and yeah. like, sometimes it's great. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, like, Okay, like we can work with that. Like we can from play the beginning. With that. From the beginning, did you have a knowing? Like, did I did, did that intuition? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, and all, but and also like 
We also, from the very beginning of a relationship, and he really led this with, with he did it with his mom because his mom is so great. He basically, we, we basically started with this thing called fresh start. So every time we get into a fight or if we get frustrated or if he like, you know, in the bedroom, like if he would get like, you know, he would try and it would work and I would get frustrated and he'd be like not concentrating because of whatever, because that, that's what porn does oftentimes. You kind of aren't focused very much. And so like to really get, to be here with me and to really focus on just being here in this container with me, in this cocoon with me, sometimes it wouldn't work and we would just kind of, oh, it wouldn't work. And we would just like move away from each other and just be like, fuck you, you know, not really that, but just yeah. be like, fuck, yeah. you know, just be so frustrated in the beginning. And then we would just kind of like take a breather and then we'd come back and we'd just be like, I love you. And I'm just like, it's just like fresh start. Like, and then fresh start meant like you wouldn't bring back the shit that we just went through. We would just start fresh from that point and just move forward. Don't ha- like, if you want to unpack a little bit of what happened or unpack what happened, we unpack it. And then once we were done with the, the pain, we say fresh start and then we don't bring it up again. All the shit from the past, people who bring up the past and then you did this and then this time and then this time, that's the fastest way to ruining a relationship. So for us, we, whenever we're ready for a fresh start, we have to really mean it. And that means that we've processed the hurt from what we just went through. And then we're ready for it to start over. And we're like back to being cute and fun and loving with each other because we have to like, we have to get to that place. And so we really created that safe word for ourselves and really honor it because that's important. We also put together a love contract. I talk about that in my book where both of us are entrepreneurs, you know, both very busy. And sometimes like men or even women are like, I don't like it when we have to schedule sex or I don't like it. There's just like, that's, yeah, you do. You do have to plan for things in your life. And it's okay when it's sometimes spontaneous and that can be sexy for sure. But most of the time, like you do have to plan for stuff. And so for us, like we have a, we have a love contract booklet that our coach like kind of like, you know, facilitated. And basically in the contract, we say, we're going to have sex four times, no, sex twice a week. Sorry. Sex twice a week. Like, Damn. No, no. <laughs> sex, twice, sex twice a week and four compliments a day. Oh, yeah, the four compliments a day. Like, I really like your butt in that outfit. Or wow, like, I really think you're so beautiful in this thing. Oh, the light really shines in your face. Really nice. Whatever. Like, but just like not taking each other for granted. And it's just such a natural thing for us to do now is to compliment each oh, other, that's which just amazing. like makes it feel so good every day where I feel seen in some way. And then we have like, like sex twice a week. And like, I, w- I wish I could have sex four times a week. Keep down to have sex once a week. We'll just have a different libido. Mm-hmm. And so our coach, Basically, we, we, he's like, she's like, how does once feel for you, Mickey? I'm like, no, 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 too little. And he's like, how does four? He, she was like, he was like, no, no, too much. I was like, how about three? And I was like, three's, three's good. He's like, three might be a little too much. And then we ended up on two and a half, which is two times one week, three times one other. Most of the time we're twice a week and I'm actually very happy with that. And so, you know, it's just like we, we, average, we average twice a week and, and it, it keeps us, but the four compliments a day, we have a fresh start. We've no phones in the bedroom rule, which by the way, you should not be having your phones next to your head anyway because of the Wi-Fi and all the, the, the EMF radiation should be not next to your head constantly. You should be, your phone should be on airplane mode and outside of your door, outside of your room at night to give your body a break. This is not like hokey bullshit. This is real. Studies and studies and studies are really coming out about it. So, so we have a no phones in the bedroom rule, but that really is because we want to focus on each other. We don't have a TV in our bedroom. We just have our bed. It feels, it's a very minimalist Japanese style bedroom. And it's just like, just white and like wood and that's it. And it's a beautiful space for us just to connect. Mm-hmm. And so we just have these, these little love, love rules in place. And 
it's kept us so hot for each other for, for this whole time, you know? And I think uh, it's been, you know, it's, and again, things work for different people, but this has really, really created an amazing thing that works for both of us. And the evolution too. It's really nice when you evolve along with someone. And yeah. yeah, I think the chapter on the snag and, you know, breath with sexuality is really good. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really beautiful. There was something, you know, like that was a common thread throughout the book that I wanted to ask about was um, a lot about your friendships. So thinking about the person, you know, the British guy that you had raised money for you and thinking about the dinner you had with, you know, 30 or so of your friends. Um, that you talked about in the book as being such a special moment. How do you nurture adult friendships? How do you nurture these relationships with these people in your life? Yeah, I think um, it's a great question. I think the 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 first and most important thing is is like is is being out in the world and like and, and being in places where you you you're doing a like minded thing. Like so, if you're in if you're going somewhere where I'm curious about social entrepreneurship and I don't have I move into a new city, I don't know many many people, and I go to a, an event that's filled with people who are interested in this stuff too, because then you'll meet someone who's like-minded or you love creatives and poets. And then you go to a poetry show and you meet people there. Like you, you put yourself out there by going places and just introducing yourself. And then once you've met a few like-minded people, then you start organizing, organizing a dinner party, organizing an outing, organizing a thing, and just seeing who shows up and participates. Because like, and, and if someone invites you to things, show up and participate. You know, I talk about my friend Max Dossel, who's a poet, who I went to a show last night, Packed House, like incredible poet. You know, he's 10 years younger than me. So when I met him, he was 22 and I was 32. And I was just like, who's this little kid? You know, this kid. But like, literally when I met him, from the day we met, he showed up to every single thing that I did. He was not only showing up and just being a wallflower and just like looking around, like all uncomfortable. He added to the conversation. He added an argument. He added his thoughts. He really brilliant, brilliant guy too. And like creative and passionate, interesting. And just brought himself to everything that we did. And then and then like we, we got married this September, like literally like five months ago. And he was in our wedding party because he's become such an incredible friend over the last eight years. And, you know, it's just... It's just that. It's participation, showing up. It's being there for each other. It's like you look and you're like, there he is. And he's like contributing and picking up the, taking out the trash at the end of the night and like, you know, or whatever. And you're just like, wow, this kid's rock. Fucking love him. And it's like the same thing with like all of my friends. Everyone shows up for each other when there's something going on. Like tonight I have my book launch event, which is happening like in T minus, you know, like one hour, wow. two hours. And, you know, I'm, I'm just so, I'm so excited because it's like, it's going to be a gathering of like 150 of my friends, you know, just coming to support me. And I just feel like really, I feel really proud that, that I've called these people in and, and also really like, you know, fanned the flame and really just nurtured the friendships and showed up for them too in, in, in every way that I know how. And I think it's such a mutual, beautiful relationship. And so I think that's, that's what you do. Like, you know, the, at the end of my book, I talk about how I sold some shares of my company and, you know, I, I had like, it was pouring rain. It was Halloween. Like no one should have come, but, but, but I knew they would. And, and 30 of, of the, of my closest friends showed up because they just couldn't help wanting to celebrate for each other. You know, I, I like so many examples where we have friends who are, all of us are entrepreneurs. All of us are always raising money. All of us are always doing stuff. But like, you know, I'll never forget when one of my friends who was like trying to raise money for like a year, couldn't raise a penny. It was so 
upset, starting to isolate himself, like really like feeling shame and discomfort and just couldn't believe that it was just so hard. And I remember one day, like I was with two of my other friends who are also close friends. We're all like best friends. And he just sends a text message with a picture of the bank of his of the his company bank account showing that he raised a couple million bucks. And literally, like we all started sobbing and jumping up and down, like freaking, like fist pumping, like <laughs> freaking <laughs> out. For it was so authentic, like freaking out for him. Even if one of my friends was also trying to raise money for his company, but just because one of our friends finally, it's just like you just celebrate the shit out of each other and like there's no jealousy there's no like trying to dim yourself or other people because you don't want to feel like you're like making others feel bad you're like fuck yeah i did this and people are like yeah because they're so secure with who they are that they're okay with it and if people aren't secure with who they are that will show up they will talk shit you will hear oh look at her trying to show up oh look at her saying this shit oh my god look at her again you'll know and then you'll weed those people out, and then all, and it's going to be the people that really fucking champion you because they are championing themselves, and they're like in it in their own world, and really in their integrity and in their power and doing their thing. That's when you know that I found my people. It's beautiful. Yeah, I think two things that stuck out for me in that it's like you are able to receive the love and the celebration of your friends, which I don't think everyone has mastered yet, you know, just like being able to, you can give, 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 but to be able to receive too really closes the loop on that energy within a friendship. And then to just like, I think sharing in the joy of what your friends are doing and the impact they're making and celebrating and mourning with them, like just makes it so much less about you in the friendship. It's just like, we are one. Like this is, yeah. That's it. It's a collective. Our group of friends in New York were called the boom spiral. There's like 80 of us. And the idea (laughs) is it's the opposite of a doom spiral, which is like in the financial terms when like someone sells and all of a sudden everyone sells and the market tanks and everyone's freaking out and there's a recession. And you know, that's a doom spiral. A boom spiral is as a collective, you create this positive Mm -hmm. upward lifting boom. And it's just like, Together, we can actually create more magic, more love, more like abundance, more, more, more. And not like that's there's no, there's no like feeling of anything but together and more. So, you know, really proud to have cultivated that. Friendship. Yeah. And I think the, you know, you, you hit it. Uh, the easiest way to cultivate those type of friendships is making sure you are good and that your side of the street is good and that you are living in alignment because the best way to, to enter those relationships is, you know, making sure that you are happy, you are doing what you want so that there is no jealousy. There's only support. You do yeah. show up as like a present partner um, in the situation. So yeah, thanks for that. That was beautiful. Yeah. And that, that exact, and that the, the last thing around that is in my book, I talk about following your lit path and not a career path. And that's exactly there that if you follow your lit path, path that lights you up, a path that gets you thinking and being curious and learning and growing, then that is the space that you can be in when you're on your lit path to meet people who are really on their lit path too. And and so it's the best, it's the best time to meet people when you're on your lit path. Yes. Love that. Um, Last question from me, Um, just in terms of, you know, getting married, becoming, you know, just becoming a mom, like things like that. I just, within this whole crazy world of entrepreneurship and being on that lit path, like how, 
how has it enhanced your experience, you know, in this world and and what would you say to, you know, new moms or people in in new marriages, relationships as they are, you know, entrepreneurs as well? I will say that it's yes and it's not it's not giving something up. It's not feeling of guilt that you're not there for your child. If your child, if you're happy, your child is happy. You know, my book in my dedication of my book to Hero, I dedicated it to my my new son. I say, here, I promise to never lose myself for you because the more me I can be, the more I can inspire you to be you. You got this. And and that's it. It's just like if he sees me happy, he's stoked. I mean, like whatever I see him. I'm literally jumping up for joy because I'm like, I made that incredible human. And, <laughs> and I get to just be me all day and like work on my thing that, you know, on my lit path. And then when I spend time with him, I'm like just fired up and he just feeds off my energy. And so he's just the happiest baby because he feeds off our happiness. Beautiful. You know, like you can't, you know, and I think if, if I felt like, I had to like just stop everything I was doing and just be a mom and just do this. And just, then maybe I'd be a little more dimmer and he would feel that. And I'm like, I wouldn't be as happy to serve him because I'm not on my lit path and I would be resenting almost a little bit because that's what happens sometimes when moms, you know, like who are on their lit path sometimes stop. And again, if you're, if being with your, if being a mom is your lit path and fuck, yeah, that's it. But if it's not, and that's something that you're just doing because, because it's just something that you feel you have to do because of what your mom said or whatever, that you should stay at home with your kid till he's five. That's just not true. You know, your baby is, is a sponge of energy. And that's, that's what you, if you're energetically good, if you and your husband are great, like we are, then he's just great. You know, happy, happy parents, happy child, you know? Yeah. Let's change the paradigm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm so glad that I've kind of come into that realization as I've gotten older too. I don't have kids, but thinking that uh, we need to focus on the relationship as the foundation for the happiness of our child and focusing on that relationship first, whereas, you know... Ourselves parent, first. Ourselves. Oh, and the honey. relationship, yeah. Yes. The one thing I want to talk about as my last question that I thought was so amazing that you put this in the book, and this was something that actually was missing from my life, um, especially in the past couple of years. So as we've grown almost 30 and we've moved into this space... There has been so much growth and transformation, becoming a public figure, um, owning our own business, being a part of a community, having guests on like you that provide us with revelations every day. And the postmortem revelation, postmortem of revelations, I thought that was so beautiful. So can you talk about um, that, which is in your book? Yeah. So, so, you know, whenever you deal with, you know, something that's a setback, you know, first of all, I'll say this is a chapter where I say replace the word failure with revelation. You know, no other animal outside of humans talk about mm. failure. You know, it's like we're the only animals that do that. And it's so interesting because it, it's it's not like it's just a just a word that's been used. Even failing forward is like feels like you failed, right? And it feels yep. kind of shamey. So it's like it, it's like all all it is are experiences. They're all experiences to learn and opportunities to grow. Like I talk about in this chapter about the scout who's like going in the forest by himself or herself, who oftentimes had alone, you know, before a big pack of people, whether an army or a group of people have to cross an unknown territory to get the other side. And the scout has to go and scout out the territory, find the right path to the other side. 
And oftentimes a scout runs into a ravine, runs into a fallen tree, runs into you know, a bear chasing him, runs into all kinds of things. Does a scout turn around and walk back and say, I failed? No. He's like, okay, this path isn't it. Let me go a different path. Okay, this path isn't it. Let me go a different path until they find a path the other side. It's just, and it's the same thing with disruptors. Disruptors are oftentimes going into unknown territory. Feels a little scary at first, but then it's like, whoa, this is an adventure. Like I get to go into unknown territory and just like find shit out and experience stuff. And if that doesn't work out, that's cool. I did it. I went for it. I went into the unknown. I'm going to die anyway. I might as well die having experienced shit, you know? And so I feel mm-hmm. like we have all this weird thing around constantly being safe, 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 but like, we're all going to die. So let's live. You know, there's this, there's this incredible quote by a poet that I keep forgetting about who it is. And he basically says, I want to something like along the lines of like, I want to skid to death's door sideways, not in a well-preserved body. You know, mm-hmm. I want to experience everything and, you know, and, 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 and suck the marrow out of life, you know, and just like, and, and when I'm, I'm, when I go to my deathbed, I'm just completely mangled up, you know? And I think that's, that's a really cool way to think because again, we're all like, if there's one certainty is that we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. And so let us disrupt, let us push things forward. Let's try new things. Let's not worry about failure or the shame around failure because that's just an illusion. Everything is made up. Literally, money is made up. All the constructs are made up. Our passports are made up. Our phones are made up. These computers are made up. The time is made up. You know, like mm-hmm. the Gregorian time clock. It could have been done in many different ways, but that's made up. And so we just have to keep remembering that we can literally make anything we want for ourselves. And as long as it, it really feels with an integrity, if it's from coming from a good, kind place, like that's all that matters. So. The postmortem is really looking at what happened, really asking yourself what I learned and then what I could have done differently. You know, that's, I have a little like chart in the book and like um, (laughs) that, that talks about it. And yeah, (laughs) and and, and that I did like after I left things and it was such a painful experience for me, I did a postmortem with my coach and I was like, wow, like I learned so much and, and, and I put it down on a paper and, and then I recreated my next dream. I'm like, okay. She's like, okay, what's your next dream? Like, you know, what did you learn from this? And what is your next forward thinking dream? And then what are we going to do to get there? And that was it. So it was like, I have to sit with it. You sit with quietly with the pain and the experience that what you experienced, what you learned. You get excited about what you learned. You, excite, you get excited about that you grew through it. You know, I had to sit through a few months of really like sitting with the pain and sadness of, of, of it. And then, you know, coming out on the other side, like I was back to dreaming, back to creating, back to building. And, and I think the postmortem really helped kind of tie a bow tie around the past experience and allow me to move forward. Yeah. And exactly that. The last thing you said, exactly that. Because there's, again, so much that happens that I really need to solidify in my memory and in my patterning and in my subconscious and make sure that I actually learn it. I mean, I want to apply the revelations that I, you know, have and not just forget about them, not continue on. Um, so I really, really like the idea of the postmortem. Yes. 
So good. Uh, Amazing. And I'm so proud so of you good. girls. Like everyone keeps saying, oh, one of the podcasts needs to be on is almost 30. Like the number of people oh. who said that to me is actually oh, right. Tell them we'll give them their affiliate check. <laughs> <laughs> they can get the check in the mail, baby. It's so you cool. And by the way, one thing awesome. I want to say quickly is that definitely yes. do not go to tushy.com. It's a porn site, a very graphic porn site. Oh. Go to hellotushy.com. Check out. There we go. I'm going to buy my own damn tushy. Honestly, I'm like an easy sell for most shit. Like if I hear one thing about something that I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I'm like in. Mm -hmm. Like you literally were like... This will change your life. You're like, oh, toilet paper doesn't make sense. I'm like, I'm in fam. I'm buying (laughs) a tushy. I don't have any anyway right now. (laughs) 15 million trees per year down the toilet. I mean, we're we're throwing away money. It's just like... It's the craziest. You know what wow. else sold me too? Do you remember the thing in London, that blob? Yeah. Oh yeah, the Fatberg. Yeah, yes. the Fatberg. The Fatberg, which also was like wet wipes, wipes and yep. all the food particles all co- congealing together. <laughs> New York City wet wipes, by the way, strip away the natural oils from behind. So if you're a wet wipe person, you will have anal fissures in time. So definitely do not do that. Um, so yeah, water is a universal solvent. Water is a gentlest softest thing you can do and it cleans you properly. That's it. Yeah. It's a precise shower for your bottom. It's not toilet water. It's not the tank water. It's not pulling. It's it's like coming from the wall, the same water you brush your teeth at. It's not like spraying poop everywhere. It's pulling the water down. These are all things that people are always like, I don't know. And then once they once they try it, they're like, I don't know what my life was like before. Wow. I'm in. Done. So, Say no more. Done. Great Thank you. This so, was incredible. Yeah, this was amazing. I just wish you were here. I wish we could hang in person, but I can't wait to see you soon yes. when you're here in LA. Oh, New York book launch. Thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. The book is Disrupt Her Manifesto for the Modern Woman by Mickey Agrawal. How do you say, How do you say it? Agrawal. Agrawal. Um, best name. And yeah, y'all need to get this. I've really, really enjoyed reading it and it has definitely opened my eyes. We are so proud to have you on the podcast to share you with our community. Your thought process, your consciousness, um, your disrupt her attitude is definitely aligned with us. So we can't wait to see you in 2019. And thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. You're the best. Oh, so, so happy to be here. Bye, honey. Have a Bye. great day. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. Such a good one, huh? Such a good one. You can get Mickey's book, Disrupt Her, on Amazon now and anywhere books are sold. Yeah. So such a good one. Connect with us on Instagram, Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram in our secret Facebook group. And then if you're interested in starting a podcast, launching a podcast, monetizing your podcast, marketing your podcast, whatever it is, we have all the tools and resources for you on yourpodcastpro.com. Yeah. And also we launched our ambassador program. Just wanted to mention that we have over 45 ambassadors all over the world creating community where they are and empowering one another, having just a damn blast. So if you would like to be a part of it, check the subgroups in our secret Facebook group, see if your city has a subgroup. And if not, and you want to start one, let us know. Email us at community at almost30podcast.com. Oh, there was something else I wanted to say about the ambassadors. Whoa. Brain fart. Next episode. Mm. Um, But it's just been an incredible way for us to, you know, not only empower you all to, you know, we do it, you know, we do events and things, but it's, 
it's not about, you know, how many people. It's really just about that energy of coming together and supporting one another and having fun and meeting other people who are like-minded and curious and all of that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We see you guys doing um, events for charity. We see you doing virtual book clubs, you know, where you guys are even on just Skype talking to one another mm-hmm. and doing meetups everywhere, brunches, fitness classes, so much. So it's been such a beautiful thing to witness and experience. And really the mission there is to just create community in, in cities, you know, where you live. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We Peace love and you love. So damn much. Goodbye. See ya. Love you. 